Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Matthew Serletti was born in 1980 and grew up in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. He currently lives and works in Brooklyn. Matt studied at Boston University, graduating with a BFA in 2002. He's had solo exhibitions at galleries such as Rivington Arms, Team Gallery, Blum and Poe, Office Baroque, and others. He's been in group shows at venues such as the Standard Oslo, Metro Pictures, the Whitney Museum of Art, Bureau in New York, Marlboro Chelsea, Anton Kern, Lisa Cooley, Gavin Brown, and many more. He's also curated shows at August Greenspawn and Gavin Brown, Passerby. I met up with Matt in his Williamsburg studio not far from my apartment, and we spoke about painting skills, the early days of showing work, art world learning lessons, the strong odor of Abercrombie and Fitch, and a lot of other stuff. Here's our conversation. So, starting. Okay. Why don't we start? <laughs> so, where did you grow up? I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, yeah, born in 1980. Mm-hmm. What about and you? Did you grow Pennsylvania? I grew up in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yes. So this weather is not unfamiliar. Um, I'm unfamiliar. less phased than other people, but um, I always say that uh, I don't know. In Wisconsin, you just kind of walk to your car. Yeah. Whereas in New York. You walk around, I walk, you know, it's like a mile to the studio. Right. So, yeah, when it's freezing like this, it's, you feel it. Well, wait, did you grow up in the city or in um, the country? No, in the suburbs. Suburbs. Yeah. A town called Wauwatosa. What were you closest yeah. to? Um, Milwaukee? Yeah. Yeah, I'm Milwaukee, guessing. 15 minutes away. Yeah, so drive. So Brewers fan? Uh, not so much. Um, the Packers is more... Oh, that's a thing that people live and die by. I've sort of gone up and down with the Packers. I, it like, I was into it when I was like ten, mm-hmm. and then it faded. And sort of as I was like, oh, maybe art is cool. It was like a thing to reject right. and rebel against. But then, um, I got into it a few years ago. But now I'm done. I kind of I haven't watched a game this season. I, the whole kneeling thing is not to my liking oh you've gotten you've gotten over it then well the yeah, NFL I just, viewership's I it, down. Like the, it was like the head injuries it was like oh this is gross and then yeah the, the league's response to the players kneeling just not being cool yeah, with it I know that was really gnarly so yeah that sport it's not cool it's tough though because when you grow up in a in a town like that I mean me in Pittsburgh it's it's such a big part yeah of yeah totally it's yeah everybody if the Packers lose, I know that like the entire state is depressed, basically. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's like a total funk on your town. Yeah. <laughs> In New York, I feel like it's, it's, I think, oh, if the Giants or if the Yankees or the Mets, if someone wins, it's good for the city because a lot of people are in a slightly better mood. Right. You know? But it's not quite as different no, as like, a small have, town. Yeah, there's more going on here. Yeah. In the small town, <laughs> they're crushed. People have other interests. <laughs> yeah. it's, there's more things to do other yeah. than on that. So when you grew up, did you uh, were you artistic as a kid? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was always um, encouraged by my parents and stuff. Um, what did I, they do? What did they do? Yeah. They're both in healthcare. My dad was a doctor and um, worked at a medical college, and my mom 
started as a physical therapist and then started um, managing a rehab hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were supportive of your yeah, creative Yeah, it was like um, my mom's brother's an actor and my grandma was a singer and then my dad's side, his sister was an artist. Um, so it wasn't like totally foreign to them. Right. Um, did, they, did they want to be? Do you think they had it? in them that they wanted to be a creative person, but they were just, you know, they got the job that they needed to get. But um, in, inside, they were, you know, artists or musicians or actors or something at heart. They, like, definitely thought of it as part of their lives, but um, I don't think there was ever any, like, consideration of going pro, and they weren't, like, doing anything when I was growing up that was like, oh, yeah, Dad goes and sculpts right. on Sundays or something. Yeah, yeah, Sunday sculpting. Yeah, um... Did they listen to a lot of music when you were growing up? Yeah, my dad was big, big into classical music, and so I was. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I was a big like Mozart and Beethoven fan when I was like wow. three. <laughs> are they from that area? Are they like? They are. Fighters? Yeah, my dad's from Milwaukee. He like went to my high school, um, and my mom is from Michigan. Yeah. So yeah, Midwestern. Classical. I was. I kind of think it would be great to grow up around classical music. Um, yeah. I. Yeah. At the time, I thought it was great, um, but yeah. I didn't really know anything else and then yeah i wish i knew about it now actually do you still um, do you, you don't listen not to much too anymore? much yeah i don't know it just kind of faded in the normal way that you would expect when yeah. i found out about other music i know that ha- and it's funny because i grew up around motown like yeah. my dad listened to tons of motown and i love motown music but i don't really listen to it too much yeah you know but every time i hear it it kind of takes me back yeah totally yeah classical music i'm just like oh i'm in the passenger seat of my dad's car yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool, though. I it mean, is it, cool. Yeah, he would get really into it. He'd like pump his fist to like operas and stuff. Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I had like uh, Marvin Gaye and like Anita Baker. Where like my when I was with my dad, it was like the Temptations and stuff like that in the car. That and then cool. my mom was Anita Baker all the time. <laughs> Smooth jazz. Uh, I wonder it has. I think it it wires you in a certain way. Though I would think so, right? Don't they like? Um, I feel like in some movie or something, they're putting headphones playing Mozart right, right. to like a pregnant woman's belly or right. something. They think it's going to make you smart. They're going to turn the kid into Stravinsky. <laughs> <laughs> well, it can't hurt, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's something that you want to instill. Like music is such a great thing. Yeah. You know, did you play anything growing up? I played the piano at a, at a point when uh, I must have been nine or so. Um, and it never really took. It was like, uh, I think I can play like, the entertainer or like mm-hmm. the peanuts theme song was maybe the height of my um, pretty good accomplishment. One, yeah, it's a good song. Break that out. <laughs> my mom asked me before I started, she's like, Do you want to play honky tonk piano? Whoa. And I was like, What's the, what's honky tonk piano? And she's like, You know like Great Balls of Fire and Top Gun? And I was like, Yeah. She's like, That's it. And I was like, All right, I'll do that. <laughs> Wait, how old? <laughs> but I was like nine. Um <laughs> Did you see And Top I Gun? never played honky tonk piano as far as I know. Yeah. And that's a shame. <laughs> moved to Nashville. I wish that, yeah, together. in retrospect, I sort of was like, maybe guitar, something that would have, like, um, translated socially a right. little more easily. Yeah. Would have been nice. Yeah. It's funny because if you, I feel like if you play, my son plays guitar, mm-hmm. and, like, you could break that out in college, and it's cool. Like, if you just go into someone's room and you pick up the guitar and start playing, yeah. you know, I don't know, Heartbreaker yeah, or something. People are charmed by yeah. that. But the piano, I feel like that's later. In yeah, life. like if you go to a dinner party when dinner you're like party. 40 years old and you oh, break man, out, I'd be killing it now. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I wish I was. Yeah, I wish I had had that experience. Mostly because it seems like being in a band with other people when you're young would be 
so fun. Yeah, it's it's like a social. Yeah, for that level of engagement where you're just like, oh, I know what that person's gonna do, and I'm gonna do this thing. That, yeah. that communication. Yeah. yeah, I wish I had that. Well, it's like sports too. Yeah, uh, team sports is yeah, nice totally. because it teaches you how that, to work with other people. Yeah, that's what I love about playing soccer is just like, oh, I know they're going to make this run and I'm going to do the pass and they yeah. do it. Yeah, that communication is so satisfying. It really is. And I think it's a underappreciated value of being an artist hmm. because you think, oh, I'm in a studio by myself all the time, which is true. Mm-hmm. And you have to be pretty confident and, you know, um, adept at being alone and making your own decisions and, right. and living with and dying with what you make, you know. But at the same time, so much of of getting your work out into the world and doing things is a social side of it that I don't think... Uh, many artists put that much stock or I don't I guess it's something that could some, be some artists put stock only in that that's a good point <laughs> that's a good point um, but I think it seems like maybe it's changing a little bit a friend of mine um, teaches a class at RISD um, that they they teach you like oh like you want to meet this artist because they're a big influence you have to be persistent and this is how you do it and yeah. just kind of a practical breakdown of how you get your foot in the door with a community or right. how you, um, I don't know, whatever, like try to meet people at a gallery or something like that. So, um, which seems like, yeah, that that's great. It's just yeah. super helpful and yeah, practical. Well, it's nice when it works out organically, but yeah. I guess there is some skill to communicating with people, yeah. you know? I mean, that's yeah, kind of what Yeah, there's like proven methods and paths to the whatever you want. Right, yeah. And it's important to be able to um, be out there, yeah. you know, just people seeing your work and stuff. So when you were in high school, did you start taking art classes? I did. It was still like, um, I went to an all boys Jesuit, like college prep kind of school. Oh, wow. And, How was um, that? art was not the priority there. No? They had art classes, <laughs> <laughs> they had art classes, but, um, it was kind of, it was like in the basement and it, um, I don't know. It wasn't, uh, it didn't feel like uh, serious or anything. So, yeah. um, but I definitely more like, oh, I don't like any of these other classes. I'm going to go to the basement kind of thing. And then mm-hmm. there was the usual like, oh, we need a poster for the dance, and I would do that, or we need something for the yearbook, and I would do those projects. But I didn't really have a model of like, you can be an artist later. It was always just like, oh, that's what I like doing. But it was like mysterious. What happens next? Right. So what did you? Oh, I guess you weren't majoring in anything, but when it came time to go to school... When it came time to go to school, I I, uh, I wanted to try it. I was like, okay, you can be like an art major. I'll go to a university that has an art program, right. but if I don't like it, I can switch. Um, so I wasn't really considering yet like art schools. Um, and I went to BU, and yeah, it took like a year or something. Um to figure out that it was going to stick, basically. Yeah. Well, that was a smart choice, though, going to university. Yeah, yeah. my parents were just like, why don't you do this? Yeah, yeah they were like, I couldn't have had a more like supportive uh, yeah, upbringing with that sort of thing. Just kind of like, no, it's worth trying. You seem to have a knack for this, and you like it, so yeah. Yeah, and it, it seems goes. like in school, that was one of the things that kind of set you apart, or that they depended on you. Or, you know, oh, he can come up with a poster, or you probably right. felt like, oh, this is a way that I'm making a contribution that people are into. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, and it was cool. My parents were, like, down with, like, uh, like they didn't know, like, oh, this is a thing that you can do later, and people might buy paintings. Like, right. that's, you know, they, they were ready to, like, we'll, we'll see, you know. 
Why well, don't um, all parents really think like, oh, well, if if they do something creative like that, they can get a job in like marketing or in design or, or yeah. doing something that's art related but is more commercial. I guess maybe it was like they were cool enough not to say that out loud to right. me. Yeah. <laughs> if they were thinking it, yeah. My parents were cool enough to not even really care. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a real advantage. You know? oh, I'm sorry. No, I know. No, they were supportive, but they, they weren't. They weren't engaging. They, they were, were like, yeah, you do you. That exactly. They were like, whatever you do, just work hard at it. Cool. So I went from pre-med to to art, which is oh, really? a pretty big shift, but they didn't raise an eyebrow. What, at what age? In college. So like 20 or something? Yeah, I guess so, right? Yeah. 19 or 20. It was, uh, I went from, I only did one semester of pre-medicine. Okay. And I was like, I'm just not that into it. Yeah. So I transferred and started taking art classes and transferred into that. But I, I think... They were just kind of of that blue collar mentality of like, do what's going to make you happy. Just work really hard at it. Mm -hmm. And then at least you're doing something you want to do. Yeah. You know, so that's cool because there's a lot of parents who aren't who would. Yeah. Not down. Yeah. yeah, If you're not, (laughs) you know, you're not leaving medicine. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, so BU, was that a big shift or did you like Boston? Um, I really liked it at the time. I yeah, I was sort of um, excited to leave the Midwest and Boston seemed like a big city to me then. Yeah. And yeah, it was great. Um, and I what could, year was that? It was two, uh, 98. I graduated from high school. So yeah, 98 to 2002, I was there. And four years felt like enough. It was kind of like, okay, I'm ready to go do something else. Yeah. Um, That's a good music time there too. Lots oh, yeah. Of people playing yeah, good music. I went to a lot of cool shows then. It was so much... I feel like uh, I feel bad now because I kind of don't pay as much attention to to music as I did when I was younger. Me too. Yeah. But it was um, I feel like New York is sort of discouraging because all the shows like sell out more quickly. I feel like it was like it was just easy to go to stuff. It'd be yeah. Like oh, Iggy Pop's playing like it's not sold out. We can just go right, right. now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the Middle East was like always had good totally. interesting stuff, and it was easy to go. To, you know. Yeah. That was a fun place to play at. But I feel like New York also has that thing of there's so much going on all the time. Yeah. It's like, how do you pick? And if you're busy, most people here are like hustling like crazy just to yeah, do what they're doing. about that is overwhelming and it's yeah. just kind of like, oh, I guess I'll go to no shows. Right. <laughs> like if I really want to go see a show next week, there will be someone else who's coming into town. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. And I don't think that happens in a lot of other places. You know. I think it was also like... Uh, you know, part of that, like, discovering your identity thing where I was excited to be like, I know about the strokes, and right. you don't, and we're yeah. going to go to the show, and yeah. yeah. And you get a little <laughs> older, and you're like, eh. Yeah, it's not that cool to be that person. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're, I think it, for me, it migrated to, like, oh, I remember that band. I want to see how they're still playing music, yeah. you know, which is, like, crazy when people loop around a generation. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, I went to see them in high school. Let's go see what they're like now. Totally different. Like, yeah little benchmark of getting older <laughs> so what what was your you were taking studio classes and what was your work like in um, Boston yeah uh, it was or? like even though it was the university and I didn't really realize this going in but it was like um, totally an art school like mm-hmm. it was you know just a very like strict core program and um, you would call your professors by their first name. There was like 60 visual arts majors. And so it was just, it was kind of this small little pocket within this big university. Yeah. Um, And who was teaching there at that time? At the time, who was, um, 
the professors that I kind of clicked with, one was named Margaret McCann, and the other one is um, Harold Redicliffe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, they're not, I don't think they like are super well known, but yeah, they were really good teachers and sort of, they both, um, you know, Redicliffe was sort of the like realist academic, um, and McCann was kind of zany and would give us abstract assignments and mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was good like Good balance, balance yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, I suppose it was like uh, around the time that they started giving us a little more freedom when it wasn't like, here's a shiny coffee pot that you right. have to render perfect values when it was like, do a self-portrait of you doing anything that it started to become clear to me that um, this was a good match. Yeah. Um, yeah. So was your work pretty straightforward representational at that point? Um, yeah, it started to, uh, I feel like within the confines of the assignments, I would bring a lot of quirkiness to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and by senior year, uh, it didn't feel to me like I was, um, I just wasn't connected with the school that much anymore. Like I didn't go to my studio there. I just worked in my room and would sort of bring in paintings as I finished them. Um, and I wouldn't say that it was like very different necessarily than what um, other people were doing as far as like a genre. It was still like realist figurative work. Um, but I don't know, I was just more serious about it and was trying to put as much pressure on those paintings as I could at the time. Yeah. Um, now working at home, did you feel like you wanted to separate a little bit from I the I couldn't buzz? do it. Yeah, it was like cubicles and I would just go and chat with people if I was working that, yeah, I couldn't focus and I'm more of a night owl. So yeah, I could just kind of close the door in my room and paint all night. And um, part of that kind of fantasy of this job is like a, everyone's asleep and the yeah. you know what I mean like uh, I'm just here and they're gonna see when I'm done what this thing is yeah it's people seeing stuff when it was like partway done I never oh, liked yeah. that I was like into the reveal that's um, cool yeah I don't think I ever had that gene <laughs> but it makes total sense yeah. you know of like I just want to like boom As, and I've had students sometimes who do that where they work home a whole semester and you're like dude, why aren't you making any work? You know, where are you? Yeah. You think they're just slacking off and then they come into Final Crits with like a whole show of work. Yeah. Like, oh, that's what you were doing. Yeah. Yeah, but, I guess that's like a personality type or something. Yeah. But well, I mean, a lot of times you think, well, then why are you in school if you're making all your work without the community? But then right. there are those people who just, it's so distracting. Yeah. Like if you're easily distracted, it's its tough. Yeah. Um, Especially if you don't have a door. It just feels like work. Um, when I used to, this studio used to be shared and something about like, if somebody was here working, I'm like, oh, I'm just very aware that I'm here and I'm working, whereas oh, if yeah. no one's here and I close the door, it's just like, ooh, eight hours passed. Right. Yeah. Oh, so you never have assistance, right? Um, I do from time to time, depending on the project, and I do now. Mm-hmm. Um, but Doesn't that really feel it, like work? At it definitely point? does. I mean, that part, yeah, it, it feels like... Yeah, much more like I'm at work punching right. the clock a little bit when someone's here. Um, and I I think, I, yeah, I, I just like, I talk too much when people are here. Right. <laughs> I would do that too. I can never have assistance because I'm either too quirky about how I want my stuff done. Like, I won't let anyone do any of my actual painting or any animating, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest thing is just, I would just be entertaining that or feeling like I've got to, you know, 
engage with this person who's sitting there. I think I have friends who have like tons of assistants and he's really good at delegating work out and mm-hmm. they don't let it disrupt them. But I think I would be like, Oh, well th- there's a human there. I should probably chat with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how I am. Yeah. I think, uh, it's like a different job if you're just like the manager of a team or something. Yeah. Um, and I guess that job could be appealing too, and maybe you can get a lot more done, but, um, it's definitely something that I want to keep some kind of balance yeah. with. Some people are really good at that. Yeah. It's like an, it's an art form of it. It's kind of like in, you know, in movies, there's directors, you know, there's right. the actors, there's, a, there's kind of like a different dynamic between sort of like telling people, okay, I need this, this, and this to be done. And it works out for them and they can spend their time sort of organizing or thinking or beginning things and mm-hmm. then having people, you know, do that. But at the point where you're in school, were you kind of working on technique a lot? You know what I mean? And yeah, totally. Because that's a technique. Yeah, I was getting a, like each painting, I feel like um, it got a lot better technically, my ability. Yeah, just like um, I was not compared to the other students, like at the beginning of freshman year, it was like, I was like average mm-hmm. at best, probably like lower half of the class. Um, and yeah, by the end, I feel like I was blowing everybody away. <laughs> um, and I used to get a huge kick out of that. And I would say like a couple years after I graduated, that sort of plateaued where I was mm-hmm. like, okay, enough with the skills. This is not, this isn't the value of this stuff, Right. but it's, you know, once you get to a point where you're like, oh, I can do it. And if I have an idea, I know how to do it. Um, and you keep adding to it, but it was no longer giving me the big yeah, kick that it had at an earlier point. That's a big shift, like getting out of school. That's one of the big things is like you're kind of by yourself all of a sudden. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Unless you just have a continual stream of studio visits, which yeah. is ridiculous. I mean, <clears throat> you know, you're spending a lot of time by yourself and you kind of figure out, well, you, you, it's almost like you figure out what you were doing in school just to appease or other people or to defend yourself or mm-hmm. to show you know, your teachers or your fellow students like, oh, I can do this, I can do that. And then mm-hmm. you get out and you're like, oh, none of that really matters anymore. You know? Yeah. It's kind of like, it's good. It sort of trains you to, to be under the spotlight or to, you know, to have that feeling of like, oh, this is how I can work under that lens. But at the same time, it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, you're in your studio by yourself making right. your decisions. Yeah. I kind of feel like that's what happened to me like junior year or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just started to just get really motivated on my own. Um, so what was the shift? Were you painting sort know. of like representational scenes and then you started making it cause your work is representational yeah. a lot often and, but like this sort of quirky yeah. realism, but kind of, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of got this surrealistic, but there's nothing really surreal. Yeah. I feel like, uh, it's a little bit of a bunch of different things, (laughs) (laughs) which makes it hard to categorize, but on the face, yeah, it's very representational. Um, yeah. What happened? Um, I don't know. I guess I was just excited about what I was doing and, um, I wasn't, uh, I didn't find it necessary to like interact that much. It was more just like, I was excited to show people and, um, yeah. And was the work you were doing out at, like after you graduated, did you kind of just take some of the ideas that you were doing in school and just kind of hone in or like, were you really influenced by a lot of other stuff that was going on or did you feel kind of like 
you know, you were, I mean, your work has such a signature of kind of like your mind in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's work does, but yours is really kind of like that, that sort of <laughs> what you were talking about, how you would tweak things. Yeah. There's a very specific tweak to it. Yeah. That's hard to verbalize, but it's just things are not what they seem. Or yeah. They're, they're a little off. Like there's something about them. I mean, is that something that you were purposefully doing from an early point or is it something that slowly just progressed or do you feel like that's an intuitive aspect of the way that you make images that have that quality yeah um i think that it uh was always my sensibility and yeah over undergrad i discovered i figured out how to do it in my work you know it was always like um you know the david bowie heroes cover where he's making that crazy hand gesture and that weird face and i'm just like yeah uh watching like David Lynch movies or something. It was always like that light, um, that kind of American surrealism stuff that I feel like is very Midwestern. It's in a lot of comedy. I loved Kids in the Hall yeah. um, when I was growing up. Um, and so, yeah, just all of these people that I admired, how can I put that into a picture that I'm making? Mm-hmm. Um, and then towards the end of undergrad, I started to see more artists that were doing that. Um, yeah, like who were the people or what was the stuff you were looking at that was a big inspiration? When I was really, when I was at the end of high school, it would I would like go to Barnes & Noble and like uh, look at a book about Warhol and not really know exactly what I was looking at, but it was just like, oh, this is cool. Um, and then when I got to school, it was much more academic and about um, building technical skills. So they, you know, Lucian Freud would be a big person that they focused on. Yeah. And then... Um, yeah, one of my professors gave me a John Curran book and a Lisa Uscavage book mm-hmm. at one point. And yeah, those, I was like, oh, you can be like really sarcastic or funny or um, I just didn't really realize. And so, yeah, I feel like my work grew a lot based on seeing that stuff. And then for about a year or two after I graduated, I was just kind of going further and further into that with figurative work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So when you graduated, what did you do right after Boston? Um, well, it was sort of weird. I like, I got my foot in the door with an art gallery here called Rivington Arms. Yeah. Um, while I was an undergrad, like uh, I was a senior, and it happened just by dumb luck. Like um, I was friends with one of the women that that started the gallery. I was friends with her sister, and her sister came over to my house for a party and. There were paintings up, yeah. and she liked them and just told her sister about it. And then they came, the, the two women that ran Rivington Arms came to my like my apartment that I lived in senior year. Um, and they were, they were amazing. I just didn't, they were like people from a magazine or something. Mm-hmm. I was just like, wow, what are these people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was, you know, still from Wisconsin at the right. time. Um, and... And they liked the work, and they put a few things in a group show. So mm-hmm. I, like, suddenly, um, yeah, just, yeah, had my foot in the door with the New York art world that I was not very familiar with. Um, you weren't even in New York yet. No, no. Yeah, I can't, <laughs> yeah. I, like, drove to the opening with uh, some friends, and we were just like, whoa, this is amazing. It yeah. was, yeah, really crazy. Um, and, it, and it went really well. Um, but I had, before any of that happened. I had um, decided with some friends to move to San Francisco mm-hmm. after after graduating for no particular reason. It was just kind of like, oh, we none of us have anywhere to be. Why don't we go to the West Coast? We've never lived there. 
So I moved out there, and right as I was moving, they, Rivington Arms, offered a solo show. So I was like, oh, okay, so that's what I'll be working on while I'm there. Got a job in a cafe and just worked. So you moved out there in spite of the fact that you basically... I was kind of the ringleader of moving out there. Oh, you didn't want to bail out. (laughs) And yeah, so I remember sitting with a friend of mine and just being like, so this New York thing seems interesting. And it was just clear that it was like, he was like, do not do us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I was like, okay, yeah. But I kind of went and was like, okay, I'll go for a year and then I'll move to New York. So I kind of, I made my show and... um, shipped the work and then just moved to New York basically right as the yeah my first solo was opening here that was very I mean you really took one for the team there that was very <laughs> kind of you oh this guy's face you would have gone too yeah, yeah. oh yeah he wasn't having it <laughs> he's like no we're going to San Francisco yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's not the truth it tradi- was fun though it was cool it was just like I lived with four good buddies and yeah worked in my room and um, worked in this cafe in Berkeley and just like stole a ton of food and yeah, it was fun. And uh, there's a nice weather jump from Boston to... It was cool. I felt like I was on vacation the entire time. I was yeah. just like, palm trees? Yeah, this is crazy. And you knew it was like a time-based thing. I'm going out there for a year. Yeah. And just go enjoy it, make some work. It's like a residency. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really far away from New York <laughs> residency. But so you shipped the work, the show went well. Yep. And you said, I'm moving back. Yeah. And then I moved here... Um, was that when you moved into this studio? No, um, I moved, um, I did get a studio in Williamsburg. It was on Hope Street. Um, oh, I used to live on, or a block away from Hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was on Hope between Halfmeyer and, um, Marcy. Is that the street that's there? Uh, Meeker? Or no, the one that's like right yeah, along. Yeah, Meeker. Or maybe it's Marcy there. But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, BQ, right where building. the BQE is. Yeah, you know yeah. that one? Yeah, now yeah. it's like a... Like a luxury apartment. Yeah, it's fancy now. And a ground yeah, floor at the time space. it was like there was full empty floors yeah. that you could walk around on, and um, yeah, obviously. I did a the painting of that building. Huh? I did a painting of that building. Oh, you did? Yeah, because there's the giant. You know the giant billboard that was on it, kind of like at an angle. Yeah. Yeah, I did a painting, and then I put John three sixteen. That's on cool. It. I got to see that. Yeah, I'll show you a picture of it. <laughs> but yeah, that was your building. Yeah, a friend of mine lived in this neighborhood, and I just found that there were studios in that building on Craigslist. And I was like, will you go look at this and call me? Yeah. And she was just like, it's like a cement room. There's a it's window. Nice. I was yeah. like, all right, sounds good. <laughs> yeah, that building reminds me, my first studio in Brooklyn was in the Gretsch building before it was, oh, yeah. you know, luxury. And uh, it had that same, like, concrete, nothing but concrete, yeah. you know, and, like, kind of old school loft feel to it. Yeah. So so you moved in there. Mm-hmm. Did you start making work right away? Or you, yeah, yeah. Were um, you day jobbing? Like all the time, or um, no, at that point, like my show had gone well enough here that I was like, You bought yourself time, right? Yeah, yeah. I uh, and uh, I feel I don't, it seemed like art fairs were starting to kind of be a thing right around then. It was like 2003, um, so we did the armory, remember that when it was like a new thing, <laughs> it felt better <laughs> <laughs> didn't have the tape um, that it yeah. has on it now yeah uh, it's a whole new world yeah like, oh wow so many I was other like, this people is great so it. many people are looking at the work yeah. um that's yeah. the, that's the same thing that happened when people first put up malls like, oh, this gosh. is amazing <laughs> we can go shopping at all these different stores in oh, one geez. building and it's got a roof yeah and there's a food court <laughs> an abandoned art fair that's what we're gonna have eventually <laughs> 
It's only a matter of it's only a matter Just of time. Dusty art with cobwebs on it. <laughs> on a pier somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Jettisoned into the water. Art on the water. <laughs> so you bought yourself some time, you work in full on. Yeah. And it just kind of kept rolling. Um, and what did your work, was it, you know, in the vein of where it is now at that point? I mean, I've seen images of the early I think it shows. fits in, yeah. Um, it was, it was um, I guess it was maybe, it was more self-portraits and, and like, uh, figures in psychological tableau and just... Um, paintings of friends or family members and things like that. Um, but after I got here and started um, discovering recent art history, basically, mm-hmm. um, I started to find that I was less interested in work that looked like mine. Um, yeah, it was like, oh, Jasper Johns is amazing. I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and so I started to feel just frustrated with some of the limitations on the work I was making um, and wanting to expand. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, like titles were always a big motivator for me. I would come up with some phrase that I thought was cool and then, oh, okay, then a person can be brushing their teeth and this will be happening and Mm -hmm. that'll fit that phrase or something. So I was like, oh, maybe the phrase can be an artwork. Maybe I can, yeah, just do do a painting of words or... um, so you're kind of finding an image and, and doing that, and how can I like somehow make that feel personal and like a real choice? Yeah, and, yeah. But like conceptually, I guess you were loosening up or opening the gates a little bit. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I it, it was um, scary at the time because I was like, the only thing I know is that I don't want to do what I've been doing. But what do I want to do? And so there was definitely like 2005 or six. Um, I only made a handful of things, and mm-hmm. there was a bit of flailing. Um, and were you still with Riving? When did they? Yeah. Wh- how long did they stay? They were was open until 2000, either eight or nine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and they were always super nice. Like part of uh, part of what made them great was just their sensitivity to the artists. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, when they would come over and see that, oh, maybe I was just not in the right headspace, they were super nurturing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, t- <laughs> I took all of this for granted at the time because I didn't know any different. You know, I was like right. 23, 24, and I was like, oh, this is how it works. You start having art shows and people buy it, and um, it just kind of keeps escalating. Um, and art dealers are these people that come over and care about your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> um, sure. It turns out that that's not always the case. Not always, no. Um, so yeah, they kind of. I feel like I did grad school through my shows in a way, yeah. and um, I had this support. And I also, I also feel like I am a good editor. So um, something that I would do that just was, it was like, oh, this is kind of half baked or whatever. I would eventually. I was never like forcing that on people. Yeah. I don't think. Um, well, it sounds like you were in a good situation too, to where the gallery wasn't coming over and just, you know. I need ten of these. Well, yeah, by just, whatever. Yeah, they weren't like that. Yeah, um, that's which a good was thing. yeah. That would have fucked me up. I think so. Yeah, I really, I'm lucky for for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't worry. It's just my car on fire outside. <laughs> <laughs> no pass. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the fire station's right there. So there's a lot of that. Whenever whenever the 
fire truck goes by and I'm like on the phone with my mom. She's like, do you need to go? Is something happening? <laughs> like, no. Building's fine, fine. mom. <laughs> <laughs> New York sounds so raucous. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, where were we? Um, Rivington Arms. So, they, were, they were generous. Did you have another show with them? Or Yeah, I had, how many did I have? Three total. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I feel like that kind of... Um, evolution that people go through maybe typically um around grad school i was doing while showing um how was that uh yeah that was maybe stressful yeah Yeah. um but getting through that i feel like it was i don't know it was funny because every day i I would paint like oh the words from a painting or a uh the, the words from a title or the wallpaper that would have been behind a figure previously was now like an abstract pattern. Mm-hmm. And so I went through these years of thinking I was like breaking all of this new ground to then kind of at a certain point be like, wait a second, I'm just taking apart those early figurative works yeah. and focusing in on these like individual ingredients. Um, and then the show would be like adding up all of those ingredients. You see right. these 10 paintings or something and you can kind of complete a picture. It's an exploded early yeah. painting, basically. Um, which I think was really helpful for developing um, just a really refined sense of like, oh, this thing is hinging on scale and color, and that's it. You yeah. know, So I had to really nail um, nail those aspects. And uh, But then when I realized that it was like the cumulative effect of a show was kind of making the impact, whereas mm-hmm. individual works could feel um, more like non sequiturs or just kind of, oh, this is a piece of something. I was like, oh, I got to put this back together somehow um, and get that feeling to happen to people when they see a whole show in just one painting. How do right. I condense it again without feeling like I'm um, doing something I did already? Right. Um, That's brave, isn't it? The people who can do that, they where they break everything apart and kind of show it segmented. I feel like it really... Um, puts a necessity on the show as a whole. Yeah. Like where if you take one of your paintings and put it in a group show, it just like doesn't hold the, you right. know, what it does. And I mean, it's always different, a group show versus a solo show, but some people's work really is built around that show and how the, the, like the space in between the paintings is just as important as each painting. Totally. And I feel like being in New York, that was, that was what I was absorbing a lot of. Yeah. Like um, a lot of people, the first show yeah, I did yeah. here... I didn't know how to hang it. I didn't, you know what I mean? I was, um, it just wasn't something I did. So yeah, yeah, the gallery really helped with all of that stuff. Oh, like this one next to that one is interesting. I was like, oh yeah. Or like maybe lower is cool. And I was like, yeah, that is cool. Um, And so figuring out uh, my own sensibility about the install. Yeah. Seeing like Robert Gober shows Mm -hmm. or, you know, just uh, people who, yeah, every, when you turn this corner and then this one's in front of you and that one's behind you and you can get meaning from all of that stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that breaking apart the work was a way to embrace that. Um, so what happened when you put it all back together again? Well, um, I was lo- I had developed a, all of these kind of technical things that it was like, oh, I enjoy making a big flat surface by thinning the paint and then scraping it off and building it up over like layers and layers yeah. and layers. You can get this really rich surface. And I also like getting teeny tiny brushes and just rendering the fuck out of some like little detail. Yeah. Um, so what types of images have all of that stuff going on? Um, and so maybe the one of the first ones I did was an Epson printer 
advertisement. Mm -hmm. um, so I had done a bunch of like logos and kind of um, branding images at the time. And so that was, yeah, like I could bring that in because it looked like commercial photography, but then it's also printing a headshot. So there was a portrait in it. Right. Um, and so it was a way to, yeah, to put it back together without feeling, it was also a totally like appropriated image. So it, um, that way of kind of hiding my authorship was a part of it too. Um, yeah, and then I went from that to these interior decorating images. That was when it really, yeah, I felt like I really figured it out because those like super self-conscious composed images where there's like a cup of coffee next to the shoes, next to a paint roller or whatever, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's just like so set up and so kind of fake, but also so beautiful and so like built to communicate. Right. Um, yeah, and yeah, so that was another, and, it, and I could paint in like all those different ways that I liked. It's like, oh, I've got 10 painting tricks and I can do eight of them in, in this image, so. Yeah, isn't it funny how we so often will have to like give ourselves license through a certain image to paint in certain ways and you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like sometimes um, <laughs> I'll wanna do something and I'll think I can't really paint that, but if I if it's a billboard of it or if it's a totally. advertisement yeah, of it. What's, then what it's that I'm always worried that there's some kind of self hate or something. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's like, oh I, I can't just paint that, that yeah. image of that portrait of that person from that advertisement or something. I have to paint it as the advertisement. Or, well, I guess that yeah, I always explain it as I don't want to look at one of my paintings and be thinking, There's me, that's all about me. I made right. that thing. I don't want to see my handwriting that much. Yeah. I want it, the painting to feel strange to me too a little bit, like I found it. That's a very Warholian. Maybe you got that from those early Warhol <laughs> books, you know, because his whole, yeah. you know, I don't want it to be about me. It's reflecting yeah, the world. Yeah, it would so. feel limited or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's less, yeah, you want to surprise yourself. Right. Um, yeah, I wanted to do an abstract painting um, that, that looked like mint chip ice cream. And so it took me a long time to figure out how to do that in a way that um, I couldn't feel like I designed it. It felt more random and just like it sort of appeared. You didn't do hardcore mint chip ice cream research of eating it? I, I did a little <laughs> research over the years, yeah. <laughs> Photos and then finishing it off, you know. Did you, I, end, you, made, you made the painting? I did, the, yeah. This was right before I um, came to those furniture paintings. Um, and it was, um, I had done all of these super composed, like Mondrian mint chip mm -hmm. paintings. Um, and they just didn't. It didn't feel right, but I was looking at some linoleum tile and just how those little flecks are sort of randomly yeah. on there. And it was like, oh, that's how it's got to feel. Like, I didn't do it. Like, they just fell there. Right. Um, and and then, to randomize that painting. Yeah. And suddenly it felt okay to make that painting. Yeah. And then when was your show at, you had a show at Team. I did have a show at Team. That was, um, was that 2007. It was, um, it wasn't quite when Rivington Arms was over, but it was like, uh, I guess I felt like I had, I was ready to do something else. Right. Um, yeah. How was that? That was fun. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, team was a gallery that um, was exciting at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, the guy who runs that gallery is very smart and was very insightful about my work and really impressed me um yeah he knows his stuff yes he does you know that you know jose yeah shout out to jose <laughs> um he does and so like and i um yeah that was all exciting so i did a show with them 
and there was an idea of like, oh, would I show there after that? And it didn't quite feel right, so I decided not to. Um, but that was, yeah, that was like the beginning of seeing more of the art world for me. Yeah. I feel like I was very sheltered. I was like, if people would ask for a studio visit, I would say no, and I, just, I, I was like scared. Um, well, you just went deep into the pool. Yeah, and also I was insecure. I didn't having not gone to grad school. I didn't feel like I could talk about my work at all, um, and I had some idea that I was supposed to be able to. And um, it was meeting after moving here. I I met um, a guy that went to RISD and Yale that um, is really articulate, and I would meet him and we would talk about work. And basically, I would just ask him questions, and I just I. Um, I learned a ton from him. Yeah. Um, and then through him, I met other people that were as well versed in art and could talk about it and, and slowly built up um, a way to talk about my own work over the years. Um, and yeah. It's and funny I, because grad school can do, it gives you, you know, a lot of, well, it depends where you go and what the program's like or whatever, but it does give you like a two year boot camp of thinking about art all the time, you know, and being yeah. in that environment. But really, being able to speak about art, I think, is something that you acquire, too, over time. Yeah. You know, and if you're just coming down from Boston and, like, you got your show straight out of your apartment, you know what I mean? <laughs> you just, you know, you it's like the time that also, as you just go on, um, as you know, you just get more versed at, like, talking about what you're after and what yeah. you're doing. And it's kind of like that experience... I was thinking about that when you were talking about, you know, showing. I, I felt the same way when I moved down here after graduate school. I think it was a few months, and then I got in a group show, and then I started doing, like, working with a gallery. And, and you, no one ever really has the experience of, like, moving through four galleries or s- making artwork for 10 years in their beginning of showing their work. But it would be so nice to have that knowledge when mm-hmm. you first start. But you just have to go through it, and you yeah. learn that stuff. It's like, you know on the ground training basically yeah and uh schools don't really necessarily fully prepare you and how can they but they don't fully prepare you for all that stuff that's that you just learn by doing it you know which can be tricky and it all depends on the environment so you started showing right before the crash right like when you i mean you had a few years before like the market uh, like the 2008 stuff yeah. yeah the economy yeah i mean it was still going good when you first started like you yeah were saying. totally it was yeah. going great yeah um i mean imagine diving in at this point or like when the crash happened you know it can't be yeah easy yeah but um, maybe you learn other things in a really responsible way of like oh it's not like oh you wait shows don't sell out before you send them to the gallery you know what I mean? exactly yeah like, that, that's a possibility? Came, that came as a shock to me at a certain point i was like wait there's work after the show what do we, what yeah what do we do with that <laughs> wait you don't what's happening sell it all? yeah yeah no i i was totally spoiled for those first few years and and just assumed that that's how it always was um and i got insulated a bit from the economy tanking by um, connecting with a gallery in Belgium mm-hmm. um, in like 2007 or eight. And as the economy here was getting weird and galleries were starting to close and stuff, it's like, oh, Barbara Gladstone's opening a gallery in Belgium. Yeah. And everyone in Belgium loves buying contemporary art. So, um, good move. I didn't, yeah, you I mean, you I, trying, yeah. I just, it was like, they are interested and they yeah. seem cool. Okay, I'll do that. But it worked um, out. And it just was super lucky again. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, uh, and I did, yeah, I did a show there in 2008, mm -hmm. and that went well, even though the economy was, like, crumbling here. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, like, right when, like, Lehman Brothers is closing and stuff. It's right. like, my opening's going good here in Antwerp. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you ever ponder a Europe move? No. Um, I mean, you didn't need to. I guess I just, yeah, especially, like, after I moved to New York, it took me maybe a couple years to get used to New York. Mm -hmm. I kind of, I feel like every year I was saying, like, I just got used to it. It's great. I love it. And yeah. then maybe it was, like, three years where I was like, oh, I'm actually used to it now. Right. And, um, yeah, I love New York. I just feel like the level of stimulation, yeah, all the people that are drawn to this place, mm -hmm. yeah, it's great. It is. Um, I mean, so, it has yeah, I was its... never considering moving, really. I guess more recently, I've been here for since 2003, so whatever that is. It's the 15-year um, itch, yeah. right? That you huh? get the 15-year itch. I'm getting a little bit more like, I get it. I get why you might want to go somewhere else, but I'm not, I not ready. I don't know where that would be. Yeah, it's hard yeah. because the city, after a while, tests you. You know, you're like, okay, where the stimulus and all that... You, I think age two or whatever, but you know, a lot, I have a lot of friends who've moved out of the city and they're just like, yeah, I mean, I can just come visit the city Yeah. when I want that. Like upstate, like upstate Hudson yeah. kind of stuff up yeah. there or Pennsylvania or, you know, Jersey, Western Jersey or places outside to where you're close enough to come in Yeah. where you can. And have a you lot ever of, tried that? No. I mean, I've always lived here since yeah. I graduated from graduate school, but, um, and there've been moments where I'm like, okay, I need a break from, from this city right <laughs> it can be a lot but yeah. then having a kid here too is a whole different can of worms because yeah. that complicates everything it seems scary <laughs> yeah well it's not it's it's there's really wonderful things about it i mean like my son who's 10 he's done more stuff in 10 years than it took me like 30 some years to do you mm. know what i mean like the stuff that they can do here is really great but but yeah, little things are complicated, just like parking and like getting groceries and, you know, right. like moving a stroller around the city. Can you imagine today with all that snow? Like I see people with strollers yeah. and I'm like, man, that's, that's tough. Yeah. It, there's definitely like a, a level of dignity that. <laughs> <laughs> the people in the suburbs. Seems with like the, maybe it's an issue. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you have a garage, that's a wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, having a family, I'm like, is L.A. a good? Because no one has any dignity in L.A., right? <laughs> you said it, I didn't. <laughs> I'm sure it's a wonderful place to have a kid. I mean, it the weather alone, right, makes yeah, it easy. You, don't, it does you know, easier. like, getting a kid out the door in this weather, the amount, I mean, there's comedians who talk about it all the time, you know, but, yeah. like, the amount of, like, hoops you have to jump through just to get those layers on and off, it makes you want to move to like you know del boca vista <laughs> that's your seinfeld reference for the oh thing. yeah <laughs> but you know it, it can the city is wonderful it's there's so many great things about it and i'm still here so but is your, yeah is your um child like very fashionable at 10 is that a thing yeah, he's the, I, feel I like, like I he look at all, the like teens and like yeah yeah he's he dyes his hair in new york city i'm like geez look at these kids they're he dyes his out. hair he okay. all his friends are into supreme and Comme de Garçon or whatever. Like oh, they, wow. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's what happens, I guess, if you grow up here. Yeah. You know? It's a different... I was pretty into Abercrombie when I was uh, yeah. 16. I thought you it was walked by cool. that store and it smelled so good. That you <laughs> <laughs> As you what gagged was the name of their cologne? Oh, I don't know, but they pump that oh, stuff out the door. Oh, they pump it out, out the there? Door. Yeah. Oh. 
think it's called Woods. Maybe. Yeah. Well, in Soho, on the warm day in the spring or summer, they have the shirtless models outside who will actually spray it. Do on they you. still exist, Abercrombie? Yeah, they do. They do. Okay. Yeah, yeah there's a I mall that I frequent. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to a like where my in-laws live. There's a mall out in the suburbs, and we go to the mall occasionally. <laughs> and uh, they still have it, and it's still that pungent of that. It's funny how. Odor. Um. Yeah, I feel like the the fashion in the midwest is this whole other category yeah um like having like a north face jacket was like whoa look at this fancy person right when i was in high school patagonia Um, yeah we didn't know anything about like actual fashion designers or anything yeah it's just different you know you're not worried about you know Jinya Watanabe in, in the middle of Pittsburgh, you know what I mean? But <laughs> you come here and it's just, I guess it's on the radar. Yeah. I think it's funny that 10-year-old kids are really in the Supreme and that's like a big thing, you know, because hmm. they're kind of, and anyways, you know, that, they, that that's on their radar. But right. I guess no matter what, kids just want to be cool and whatever seems cool is what they're going to migrate towards, yeah. you know. It's just different names, but same idea. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Supreme might be cooler than Abercrombie, I'm not sure. You may be. I feel like it might be. It might be, <laughs> but then, you know, they opened one over here on uh, Grand Street by Bedford Avenue. Uh-huh. And there's like a velvet rope and a police officer out front huh. because they make lines, even though there's only five people in the store. Uh-huh. It's like fabricated, like, you know, like cool. Exclusivity? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, I see your line there, but there's no one in the store. So yeah. it's bullshit. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But, I've always had a hard time with that um, in the art world that yeah. like. Too many people getting a kick out of excluding other people. Yeah. Don't like that. And everyone puffing up certain people like this is the amazing. I feel like that happens a lot with artists of like if they get to a certain point of notoriety, then mm-hmm. everyone j- jumps on that bandwagon. It's like, oh, yeah, their work is great. But yeah. Um, yeah. Having a longer timeline in the art world, I feel like that's one of the things that you learn is. And I think that it happens to everybody like um when I made those interior decorating paintings that were, you know, realism, yeah. um, on the face of it, you know, there was a, I think, you know, more going on, but um, people were coming from a Wade Guyton show or a Josh Smith show or mm-hmm. whatever, and like, they were not like they just weren't in the headspace to look at that and not think anything other than old-fashioned or something yeah. like that, um, and so. Yeah, I didn't realize that there was these big pendulum swings with trends and stuff. Um, but, it totally but it's hard is. to, yeah. yeah, it's hard to be immune to it. So, you know, whatever the like process-based abstraction trend that mm-hmm. um, zombie formalism, yeah, seems to have crested <laughs> a couple of years ago. I feel like in the next couple of years, work in that category. Somebody's going to make some amazing stuff and no one's going to give a shit about yeah, it. Yeah, of course. Because they're on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, and then they'll discover it in five or ten years or something and be like, oh, yeah, well, we were over here with, like, the new figurative, figurative surrealism yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah, somebody made these cool pieces of metal or whatever. Right. Well, <laughs> to their credit, it's really hard to just go around and like what's really good and like have an informed opinion on your own. It's really safer to have a, yeah. a group of people decide for you what's hip at that time. Yeah. Um, I suppose, I mean, it requires so much time to just pay enough attention to like figure these things out too. And so just kind or of like general looking love. around and being like, oh, ever this is exciting. This is the new thing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, people who generally love work go mm-hmm. around and 
you know, like what they like. You know what I mean? I walk yeah. around Chelsea or the Lower East Side, and, you know, there's going to be figurative shows I'm amazed by, abstract shows that I'm amazed by. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to be conceptual sculpture, performance, whatever it is, you know. But I think for some people, the act of looking at art is more of a social activity or some sort of status thing, right. especially beautifully exemplified by Instagram. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, well, look what I like to look at. And then it is just an honest real straightforward love of what someone's trying to say you know right. what i mean which is i think i hope is what it's really about you know yeah but i think artists do it all the, i mean artists generally go around and they like what they like you know and they they have that kind of hopefully that honest interaction with other people's work maybe that's idealistic but you know i would hope that i think a lot of them do yeah i guess it's like um I wish there was more shows where it was like, oh, there's a video next to a painting, next to a sound piece, and that people could unite work more by a sensibility or what they're saying rather than like, um, it's in this type of, everybody's doing this kind of design-based stuff or this illustration stuff or whatever, like that it doesn't need to be in that kind of category, that it's more about a message. But I guess it's too much to expect from an audience to latch onto that because it's... Maybe complicated or confusing. I don't know. Um, I mean, obviously, there's people that do those shows. Um, I just wish there was more people. I totally agree. But I have noticed recently, of late, um, artists curating more shows and yeah, really artists curated shows always kind of do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love them even if I don't like them because it's it's kind of like you know an artist choosing this stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I feel like it's there's something refreshing about artist curated shows. Yeah. As opposed to the curator and the curator's agenda. There's great curators out there who make amazing shows, Mm -hmm. but like you're saying, a lot of them get so tidally kind of compartmentalized or like, I don't know. Artists are usually like, whatever, I'm just going to put up, you know, this is the group of people that I think would be interesting together. And there's a certain freedom in that. I think that's refreshing. Yeah. Maybe it's um, just more comfort with loose ends or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Well, and curators generally, if they are just a curator, that's their legacy. Yeah. Whereas artists, it's like, we can curate a terrible show, but if our work is still interesting, we're going to be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, all our eggs aren't in that basket. Right? <laughs> have you ever curated a show? I have. Yeah? Yeah. Was there a lot of different stuff in it? Yeah. A lot of different stuff. I did a show. It The first version was in Boston. The second version was in, in Chelsea. And it was a black and white show. Hmm. And it was basically an excuse. I went to see the Picasso show. And I loved that, mm-hmm. the black and white show. Yeah. And, and I wanted to do sort of like a contemporary version of that. And I picked people that had nothing in common. The only common thread really was black and white. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it would be really interesting to see people whose work is so diverse tied together by, you know, palette, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it was like a David Hockney next to a Diana Al-Hadid next to, you know, uh, a Al-Held painting or something. Just people you'd never think would be together. Is it, is it, do you think that um, that happens less um, with curators because there's like um, an idea of like a work that's being made in a time and place needs to, you need to be thinking about that more and artists are more prone to just be like, I don't care. Maybe like, it works now in yeah. this context. Like, yeah, that might be, that might weigh on their decisions yeah. more than and there's the history part of it. Yeah. I mean, I'm un- unencumbered by ignorance in that realm. And <laughs> <laughs> 
I can just go with, you know, going with the gut sometimes is a really yeah a good thing. It can be, well, it can be refreshing too. Like if it were always like that, I'm sure it would get old and curators would lose their minds. Yeah. <laughs> it was all right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, if it was just like chaos every time you went to a museum, yeah. that'd be hard. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so these days in like the work you've got here, what are you up to? Um, what am I doing? Um... I just did a, a two-person show. I've never done one of those before with a friend of mine. Um, uh, and now I'm starting on a, uh, my next solo show in New York. Um, and I'm doing sort of a hybrid of, of like um, some of the like pop corporate work that I had done previously and um the like furniture stuff i had done a bunch of um like surreal landscapes and these kind of um personal like an aquarium that was kind of based on an aquarium i had when i was a kid and um i guess i felt like i wanted to do something that had a little bit more of an edge mm -hmm. um and so yeah, I feel like I'm trying to incorporate a little bit of awareness of the market and that that isn't necessarily always a good thing um, with this stuff. So it's, yeah, it's a lot of like appropriated branding stuff. and um, Yeah, those American flags jump off. I don't want to talk too much about specific pieces because <laughs> some people might not go on the website and see. I don't but... know. Do you think that's okay? Those are stuck on there from a printer. Oh, are they? Yeah, yeah. There's like fr the Fruit of the Loom logo under yeah. there. Yeah, I didn't um, But I started feeling like the Fruit of the Loom wasn't right. But um, a friend of mine I sent a picture to was just like very MAGA. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like yeah. she's like white hoodies. Is that like a clan oh, reference? That, and yeah. then the flag. And I was like, uh-oh. I mean... Not that I'm opposed to that. I just don't want it to be too heavy-handed. I don't think it's too heavy-handed. I mean, that's pretty subtle. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, it's interesting because if, um, the Fruit of the Loom logo, you can't, you don't recognize it from, you know, ten feet away. It's yeah. so small, and you get up, you're like, oh yeah, that fruit. Right. Um, that's funny. Yeah. But with the flag, you can see that from like forty feet away, yeah. even though it's the size of a stamp. So it just the painting functions pretty differently. It does. Um, yeah, I start thinking about commerce and like kind of like mass production of, you know, and then where things are made, where things are produced. Yeah. You know what I mean? And what that means, like the stock we put in, like made in America and all that. I mean, that's probably where my mind would go. But then it's also kind of surreal and creepy that they're just floating there in space. Yeah. There's, no, there's a figure, <laughs> but the figure's erased out of it. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think I would just go to, to you know. Instant political. Yeah. Take. I'm not going straight to Trump on that one. <laughs> if they were orange sweatshirts. <laughs> And this I love because, I mean, you know, you know where I, my people mind have been asking me for years, like, when are you going to do a soccer painting? And I've been like, uh, it's in there. It's yeah. like r rattling around. And so, yeah, I finally got to it. It's not quite done, obviously, but. Can you guess where my mind went on that one? Um, that we didn't qualify for oh, the World Cup. I didn't. I didn't think you <laughs> the asked. The keeper is not holding that ball. Yeah, but that's Premier League ball. Yeah. That would never be in the U.S. That's true. So where did my mind go with that? Um, what, you're picking a team? No. No? Um, it's more about branding. Um, I don't know. That's not... They're using, like, a, a primary colors ball that I considered, but it didn't quite formally work with this painting. No, from my mind went to the the uh, contradiction between the Nike ball and the Adidas gloves. Oh, this would never happen, you're saying? No, just that I noticed <laughs> The war that. is happening? Uh, yeah. You know, like, I noticed <laughs> the, the battle. Branding. Yeah. 
It's pretty great though. It, ju- it really jumps out. Yeah, it's um, that one. Um, I feel like I was like, oh, they're going to be this loud. So I got yeah, that one's exciting. I feel like it's setting a nice tone for the next next few. Are the arms like that? Um, I'm gonna work on them again, but I don't. I was yeah, I'm not sure whether I'm going to add like folds or anything to. But I'm going to leave them green for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's kind of nice how they do this weird. Invert, you know when you look at magic eyes things. Oh yeah. And they like pop out. They're the same color, but they pop. That's yeah, kind yeah. Of what that does in like an invert. And I like that it um, matching the background just kind of emphasizes the products. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those I just found images of those gloves on a um, website where they were selling them, and then picked a ball and kind of pieced this image together, which is yeah, that's how this stuff is happening basically. It's a nice save. <laughs> You know, one of the only real criticisms I've gotten the podcast is like that I've done a podcast with someone and not really talked about the work around me. It's so hard. I wonder about that. Yeah, like with all of the art podcasts, I'm like, what do you? How do you do that? But I'm more interested. I mean, I feel like people can see the work, but I'm really interested in the people because how often do artists really get to talk? Right. Casually, you know, just chat basically. Yeah. But I feel like after this one, people are going to get irritated because we're really talking. Sorry, guys. Sorry. And is that a Mondrian-style printout? That, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> there, I was looking at a ton of printers printing different imagery, and I found one that was printing like um, a, a kind of generic designed thing that was like suburban home prices on the rise or something, mm-hmm. and it had like these colored shapes. And I eventually, yeah, just blocked out all of the imagery and the words and just thought it would be fun to have it making colors kind of like super simple dumb abstract yeah it reminds me of like on pages when you can get the templates of like where like brochure and then it'll have like different colors of i don't know why i'm just drawn to the like i want things to feel um generic or sort of middle of the road it Mm -hmm. feels like um i don't know it feels like a way to be originals to like Is, is that technically normcore uh, I always say that, and then people, um, I feel like it's not been a helpful way to explain what it is I'm doing. I thought it was at first, but then people are like, what, the clothes? Like khaki pants? And I'm like, yeah, like khaki, I'm making khaki pants paintings. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's the kind of like, it is a choice to go right to the middle, but the, it's the choice that is the big factor that makes it like, is this um, sincere? Mm-hmm. Yes. Is it sarcastic? Also, yes, like it's trying to kind of um, play both sides. And it's the strangeness of the most normal mundane, right? Yeah, In exactly. Like yeah, if I can make you look especially. at a thing that you're like, I'm familiar with this. I've seen this a million times. Wait a second. Why is this giving me the creeps? Yeah. This thing that's just, ar- and then you're like, whoa. See, that's maybe- socially responsible of you because this <laughs> stuff goes under the radar all the time. And everyone's <laughs> used to it, so they get a free pass. But hoodies are weird, and that is weird, and we need the second thing. <laughs> We need to look again at what turns out the world is strange. I think people are uh, more aware of that these days. I totally agree. And anyone who wears khakis should be patted down and searched. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, think? the like khaki, yeah, that like uh, the, the tiki torch Nazis or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're into khakis. I didn't understand that for a while. Yeah. It's what? real white. It's just really white. It's fucking weird. It is weird. But they should all get searched. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. Are you uh, a news junkie these days? No, I I, I try You're to. You're tuning it out? I tune out. I have even stopped with the Facebook thing because it's just a stream of irritating, like, uh, you know, stuff. And I'm, 
I, I feel like I've, I'm not being irresponsible. I've put in plenty of mental hours of like yeah. languishing over the current state of our world, but I just have to take some break. Like right now, like I'm getting ready for a show mm-hmm. for, that's going to open next month and it's all about the environment. And mm-hmm. I guess I've been kind of there lately. Like with Trump wanting to drill offshore drilling everywhere, like he's going to drill probably in the BQE or something. You know? it's, like, <laughs> it's like, it's so much. And I feel like the environment is a real huge kind of issue. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't either. Like, uh, I guess people just, why don't, yeah. Maybe global warming, if it's maybe true, I feel. Like, why, why not just, you know, like, well, if it's maybe true, why don't we worry about it? Let's just worry about it. Because we <laughs> live in a society where we don't react to anything until the shit totally hits the fan. Yeah. You know, it's like when the water levels rise up in New York City and yeah. like when Queens is underwater, that's when people will be like, oh, I guess we should we build like a levee or something? Yeah. You know, like they, we never, we're not proactive when it comes to environments. Before the election, I was like, people are pretty good. We're like a seven out of 10. And then after the election and since, I'm just like, we're like a three out of 10 at best. We're terrible. Yeah, it's yeah. really, it's not great. Yeah, I mean, we have both sides of the coin, yeah. I guess. It's just, when you see the other side of the coin, yeah. it's disheartening. Yeah, I just uh, I'm I'm listening to a million podcasts about Trump now, and um, I joined Twitter just to kind of like, what does Maggie Haberman say? Mm-hmm. Like um, to the minute, and I'm starting to Rabbit I've hole. kind of hit my limit. I think yeah. I've got to step away because it's making me crazy. Yeah, <laughs> and it it makes I think if you are constantly irritated and frustrated. I mean, there's so much out there now that mm-hmm. you'll just become like a miserable person. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to spread good in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Be positive. Maybe help someone out, like pay it forward or something. Yeah. You know? I feel I like don't... you can just wallow in, in that stuff. Because on all honesty, it's not like on election day, mm-hmm. everything changed. Like, there was, there was good and bad before, and there's good and bad now. It's just the light is shined in a different area. I think, yeah. You know? Because I think generally, hopefully... Over time, people are evolving or getting a little bit better, maybe. Yeah. As opposed to like yeah, totally. Yeah, like it's like the uh, the like Me Too stuff. It's like this is horrible to watch, but what's happening is good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You're exposing all these disgusting people are getting outed, um, and you can't. Yeah, you can't behave this way anymore. Hopefully, like that's what this is an indication of, or that yeah we're working on it. Um, But yeah, well, it's you're finding out. Oh, this person's gross, and this person's gross, and it's this person's bad. gross. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's, it's important because yeah. you know it's everything. Everything has been happening all the time. Yeah, no matter what it is, it's been happening. That's the one thing. Yeah, like if you talk, I feel like talking to like oh a friend's parents, and they're like oh in the old days we didn't you know this is so challenging in the fifties everything was like happy go. I'm like yeah because you were like a white person segregation. I yeah, mean, like it, it, it was not good. You just ignored it. Right. Um, you didn't have to burden your mind with like you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> other people living in like in those conditions yeah yeah exactly yeah that's even so. worse that's like you know blinders but it's basically better when we can ignore all this like sexism and racism and all that stuff yeah you know? yeah that's not a good goal not at all <laughs> so what um that's why it's important that you're making these paintings <laughs> I see it in them. <laughs> it's just such a big, yeah. I mean, I do feel like I need to have some um, element in the in the work I'm making now 
just uh, ha the work needs to reflect some awareness of all the things that are going on. I don't want to. I think it does no matter what. Like even yeah. if you're just making beautiful paintings of, of flowers, right. it's like Agnes, didn't you Agnes Martin say break, like yeah. everything's about beauty. You're either talking about the lack of beauty in the world or the beauty in the world. Yeah. So I think, you know, we're, we're not building bombs. We're just right. painting pictures and sculpting, you know, sculptures yeah. and stuff. And I think that's a plus, you know, in this world, or at least I think so. Yeah, totally. So where can, uh, where can people see your work? Um, this show is going to be in May at Karma. Uh -huh. Do you know that gallery? Yeah, I do. Yeah, um, in the East Village. And are you online? You have images online? Um, my website has a lot of stuff, and I update that pretty mm -hmm. frequently. I don't know that Karma has anything. Just your name.com? Uh, yeah, MatthewSirletti.com. Log on. Check it out. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I get a kick. Out. I, I try to update it a lot. It's sort of like I get some kind of satisfaction out of yeah. like adding recent stuff to the big scroll of all the work I've done. Which is nice because a lot of people with, you know, social media, they just get into Instagram and they neglect their websites completely. So it's yeah. nice to have that. I, I, I do that sometimes where I'm like, I got to update my site and make sure that it's not just 20 pictures of work from like 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a nice way. Yeah. To like reflect on, I was like, oh yeah, wait, what did that one painting that I did eight years ago? What was it? And, yeah, and yeah. you can look at something and be like, oh yeah, I'm kind of remaking this thing. I didn't realize or yeah. Um, I, I, after going through all of these different phases of making work and at the time at least thinking like, oh, I'm this guy now. I make only these like graphic, um, paintings or these like, um, appropriated images or these, you know, but now I kind of look at it and I'm like, oh, it's anything goes. If I have a good idea, I can do a portrait of somebody I know. Yeah. Or if I have a good idea, I can do, yeah, some like very like dry, um, appropriated thing or, um, yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, um, thanks for having me over today. It was cool to see thanks you start coming in person. Nice to meet you. The day of the year, hopefully. And, yeah. Hopefully that's over with. <laughs> and let's play soccer soon. Oh my god. I bet you're really good though. No, average is best. I'm really? getting old, man. I'm getting old. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let's play soon. That'd be great. All right, cool. Thanks. Thank you. Sound and Vision was conceived, produced, recorded, edited, mastered, and facilitated by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find images that I take from the podcast sessions by going to the images page on the website soundandvisionpodcast.com. You can find even more images on the podcast Instagram feed at soundandvisionpodcast. If you love hearing these artists speak about their life and work, please support the podcast by rating and reviewing it on iTunes. It's also available on Stitcher and Google Play. You can even donate to help support the podcast by clicking the donate button on the webpage. The introduction and accompanying music was generously provided by Michael Lovett. Michael records as Nazca Lines and also Moonlights in the band Metronomy. The bio and outro music were provided by Sean Seymour. Sean and his wife Yoshimi are a band called Lullatone based in Nagoya, Japan. Thanks to them and also Jacob Tutu and Logan Takahashi who have also lent music to the podcast. Thanks to all the listeners who share and support the podcast. All this is done by myself without funding and ads, and it really is you all who help spread the word, and you spread it well. Many thanks to all of you and all the artists for sharing their stories and time with me.